thus far. Amen. Praise God. All righty. So we are going to finish up what we started last week. All right. <coughs> last week, we began a two-part message on the seven churches of Revelation, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And we read that, they, that these churches were seven literal churches that were in operation during this time period. And that time period would have been around 95 AD when John had received the revelation from Jesus Christ. So this would have been about 60, 62 years, as we mentioned last week, after Jesus had ascended into heaven. Now, <clears throat> as we mentioned last week, these seven churches were, we turn it down just a little bit, William, were Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. All seven of these churches were located in Asia Minor, which was what we now know as Turkey. So we talked about that. We talked about the, the characteristics of those seven literal churches and how that they had parallel meanings, prophetic meanings that went through the entire church age. Now the church age we said started in at the day of Pentecost and it ends at the day of the rapture. So that church age. And we mentioned last week that we had went through and we had looked at the different time periods of events that had happened during that roughly 2,000 year time period. And we've seen that these seven churches in chronological order as they're listed in the Bible went hand in hand <clears throat> with those time periods, that they fit with those time periods, okay? So we know that these were not only literal churches, but these were prophetic churches. How it, and if you think about it, at that point in time, when the revelation was being given, revelation is all prophetic. It's stuff that's going to happen in the future. So from that time period moving forward, they started filling into these parallel gaps, okay? So now we're going to pick up where we left off. If you, uh, we're going to start this morning uh, in the church of Thyatira, number four. And that's really what it says. If you all want to stand, we're going to read Revelation 2, 19 through 22. <clears throat> and it says, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works. And the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you. That's not a good thing when Jesus says he has a few things against you. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her a space to repent for her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear precious Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come to you once again, Lord. I pray, Lord God, right now, Lord, as we get ready to dig into this message, Lord, I pray that you'll anoint my tongue. I pray that you'll loosen my jaws, Lord. I pray that you'll anoint the ears of each person here, that they will hear the message that you want them to hear, not what I want to say or what I want to do, but what you want them to hear. Lord God, we pray that you'll bless this service. 
We pray, Lord God, that everybody will leave here this morning, Lord, with something that you have given them, Lord. We praise you, we thank you, and we give you all the praise for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, as we mentioned last week, names have meanings. And we talked about how that, that Noah all the way up to, Mo or uh, excuse me, Adam all the way up to Noah, how all of them had names. And we talked a little bit about that. But these churches also have names. And these names of these churches have meanings that goes along with them. And these meanings also fit right into those parallels. So the meaning of the name Thyatira means order of affliction. Order of affliction. In the day that these verses were given to John on the Isle of Patmos, that church, Thyatira, was, of course, a literal church. And the woman that it's talking about here was a literal woman trying to run it. She was totally out of control. She was teaching the people in the church to eat the things that were sacrificed to idols, which is absolutely a no-no when it comes to God. And she was teaching people to commit fornication, as we read in the text. This woman was so bad that she was referred to as the name of the wickedest woman in the Bible. The wickedest woman in the Bible. And now you can read about that woman, the original Jezebel. You can read about her in First and Second Kings of the Old Testament if you want to go back and read. That woman would do anything. It didn't matter what, anything to, to uh, advance herself, she would do. So what is going on here is that Jesus is calling this woman of that church literally, but we're going to show, show you the p parallel part of it, but he was saying that that woman literally was a Jezebel. In other words, she had the spirit of Jezebel because this is how Jesus referred to her as Jezebel. All right, so that's where that comes about. Now, let's look at the parallel of that time period of the church of Thyatira. Now, this would have been approximately 600 A.D. to the year 1517 A.D. So when you have this broke down and you're looking at this timeline that, that we kind of went back and put together, or I did, and you look, that time period best fits this church of Thyatira. 600 to 1517. So roughly about a 950 year span. All right? So this hold on to that thought just a second, and we're going to start with this. The papal church of Rome began to take control after the pagan Rome, the political Roman Empire, fell in 476 AD. Okay? So the Roman Empire was in charge from, I think it was about 65 B.C., all the way up to 476 A.D. And as it began to crumble and it began to fall, basically what happened was, and I talked about it last week, how that Constantine had started this massive scheme in order to bring the church and the state together. And when this took place, basically, how many of you have ever heard the old saying, you can put lipstick on a hog, but he's still a hog? Okay. Everybody got that? All right. Basically what they were doing was they were putting lipstick on this hog called the Roman Empire. 
That's exactly what they were doing, okay? They were losing control. They seen that they were losing control. They were losing control because Christians were growing so rapidly that they couldn't kill them as fast as they were springing up. And we talked about that last week. So the thing about it is they had to do something to get the Christians under their control. What did they do? They went from the Roman Empire to the new Roman church. And they brought all this in. They even, as the Roman Empire had Caesars scattered out in different places, because the Roman Empire was huge. So they had Caesars, which were like many kings, if you want to say, that ruled or governors. They ruled these areas. All right? When they converted and put the lipstick on, the Caesars were no longer in charge of anything. The bishops of this Roman church took over. And they began to be the leaders of that whole area. Now, the Caesars from that time had the seat of authority over the whole Roman Empire. Now, I believe that came from Satan. And here's the reason I believe that came from Satan. Because they persecuted and killed millions of God's people in a 1260-year time period of total terror. Now, I'll hit on that just a little bit as we move on. This 1260-year time period, this was prophesied in the book of Daniel. All right, as we were talking about in our class back there. In the book of Daniel, it mentions a little horn, and it talks about that little horn a little bit, and it says this little horn's going to have power for uh, the way it says it is. It's going to be three and a half days. It's for a time, times, two and half a time. So three and a half days. If you take the day for year, you know how I always say a thousand years is a day and so forth, but if you take a day for a year, you come up with a 1260 year time period. If you look back through history, that 1260 year time period falls exactly between the year 538 and 1798. That was the time period that it covered. The Bible prophesied it. It came true exactly the way that it said. All of the churches that we have talked about thus far, including this one as we go on and finish it up, all of those churches fell into place exactly like John was getting the prophecy from Jesus Christ himself on the Isle of Patmos. They fell right into perfect place, in a perfect parallel with the happenings around us. So when we look at that, we're not done with the churches. So is all the other churches going to continue to fall in those parallels? Absolutely, because God's never been wrong, right? Okay, so let's look and see what happens here. All right. So remember that date, 538 up to 1798. Now that doesn't line up exactly with our date of this parallel, which was 600 to 1517 AD. It falls kind of in the middle of those. And the reason for that is you have that lap over. It kind of started before it actually got to the point of being in charge. Okay? That, that portion of that time period fit our tower perfectly, but it kind of had to get there before it could stop there if that makes any sense whatsoever. But anyway, you take that time period in the center of this time period, this is the time period we're talking about right now, Thyatira, and I'll show you just in a minute why that changed at 1517, okay? Is everybody with me? Okay. <clears throat> in Bible prophecy, you've heard me say this before, the church is referred to sometimes, but most of the time, is referred to as a woman. Okay, so when you're reading about a woman, sometimes in Bible prophecy, 
It's talking about a church. In this case, when you're looking at Thyatira and the parallel, in this case, it was a very evil woman. Jezebel, which makes this a very evil Jezebel church. So when you look at Thyatira, that was a Jezebel parallel time period, parallel church, very evil. It was a seductive church. It was an idolatrous church with corrupt beliefs and pagan rituals. This was the Roman church as it matured into an evil monster. And yes, for TV land, I did say evil monster because that's what it became that tortures and kills everything in its path just as its ancestors, the Roman Empire, did. No difference in this part. This monster at this point in time thinks it is God and nobody can stop it. The Roman Empire was simply continued on. Has the Roman Empire ever really ended? No. It is still in existence today. Not exactly the same. It's got pig on it or lipstick on the pig. All right, so I want to show you some highlights during this time period of this 600 years. I want to show you just a few of them. I can't show you all of them because we'd be here till next Sunday probably, but there's a lot. So I want to show you just, I think I chose eight of them. In 600 AD, the Roman church started teaching people to pray for dead saints. Really? Okay. <laughs> That's pretty wild. And angels. Now, were they praying for fallen angels or God's angels? Because if they were praying for fallen angels, just like the dead saints, a little bit too late, right? If they were praying for God's angels, I think they, they probably didn't need their prayer. But that's what they started doing. Okay? Crazy. 890 A.D., the Roman church began to worship Joseph as the father of Jesus. Joseph. Why? Why on earth would that took place? Well, I'm going to tell you. Okay? I'm going to tell you. Here's the reason. <clears throat> the Roman Empire and what's his name that started the Roman Empire or started the Catholic Church? What was his name? I forgot. Constantine. There we go. <laughs> okay. So Constantine, the Roman Empire, they all believed in the sun god's mother god, or mother moon goddess, and the child god, which was Tammuz or Horus. So who was the sun god? That was Nimrod, Noah's great-grandson. He was considered the sun god. His wife, Semiramis, was considered the moon god. Their son, Tammuz, or Horus, and the thing about it is, is we've been learning back here in the class is that every new empire that came on board, they all got a different name. So Nimrod wound up being called Cyrus and everything else that you can think of. So did Semiramis. Liberta was one of her names. Diana was one of her names. If you look at the Statue of Liberty, that Statue of Liberty in, in New York Harbor, that is Semiramis. Don't let it fool you. That's Semiramis. So what happened was that they had to start worshiping or wanted to start worshiping Nimrod. How could they do this? Well, they changed his name to Joseph. Just like they changed Semiramis' name to Mary. It's not the Mary of the Bible. It's Mary. They used that name as Semiramis' new name. And Jesus was the name given to the representation 
of Horus or Tammuz. That triad, father, God, mother, God, and child, God, is what this Roman church was built on. It's what it's all about. That's how that they got people sucked into that and deceived them so badly. And it's still going today. That's the greatest deception that's ever been known to mankind. Okay? That's the reason they wanted to start worshiping Joseph. It gets better. 1095 A.D. The Vatican begins crusades. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when you think of crusades, what is the first thing you think of? For me, when I grew up, we had three channels on, well, sometimes three. Most of the time it was two that you could actually see with an old antenna. Y'all remember those good old days? You couldn't see nothing? All right. But what you would always find on those three channels, which was usually ABC, CBS, and NBC, because it was about the only thing out there, right? When Billy Graham done a crusade, it was always on. It was usually on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Okay? And I will never forget that because I always love watching them. I still go back and watch some of those old ones sometimes just, just to be watching them. They were just pretty good. But when you hear about a crusade, that's what I think about. But that's not what a crusade is. A crusade is a war. Okay? That's what a crusade is. Crusades were wars, and it was when the Vatican began crusades or wars against Islam to recover the Holy Land, Jerusalem, for their own personal use. They wanted the, to control Temple Mount and make that their place. They wanted to be able to go in and build their buildings, the, the Roman Catholic buildings, on this Temple Mount. But I believe God himself stopped that from happening. There was already three mosques on it. It didn't need nothing else on it. But I believe, or at least they were building them at that point in time. Now, I have a complete message on that. And one of these days I'm going to preach on that. How that Catholicism actually created the Muslim Islamic belief. Because the Arab people, they believed in the same God we do starting out. But what happened was Catholicism created them a messiah and they fell for it, okay? And it was all to take over the Holy Land. And if I get on that, we'll be here for three hours, so I gotta move on. But remind me, we'll do that one of these days because it's a great message, I love the preaching. 1119, the Knights Templar, now we've all heard of the Knights Templar, they were organized to lead the o and, and oversee the Crusades wars. So the Knights Templar was these big soldiers and stuff that they brought in and, and basically a, an army. And they would go out to lead these crusades, these battles. And I think it was off the top of my head, I think they had 11 of these different wars that they were involved in. 11 or 12 of them, several of them over several period of years. But they would go out and they would, anybody that was an enemy of the papal church, they would go out against In 1163, Pope Alexander III, get this now, you're going to think I'm lying on this. Alexander III labeled those that read the Bible as heretics. Now, wait a minute, ain't this supposed to be a church that they're talking about here? And tell what that's supposed to be a church. Anyone who read the Bible as heretics and locked them up and seized their property. Whoo, what a church. What a church. I tell you. 
Hmm. In 1184, Pope Lucius III established the Inquisition. Now, what in the world is the Inquisition? My goodness. So we know that the Inquisition had something to do about being inquisitive, I would say. So here's what happened. Okay? They put this band together and they would put all their chariots and stuff and this band would go out away from the empire, away from the big city of, the, of Rome, but they would go out into these other territories. And when they would get to these other territories, when they would go into a small village or into like somebody's house or farm, they would go into them and they would bring them to the door or knock on the door or whatever and they'd come to the door and they'd say, are you a part of the Roman church? If they said no, they would say, will you become a part of the Roman church? If they said no, the next thing they saw was ropes going around them and their entire family around the tree somewhere while people were packing all of their furniture out of their house, loading it on their trailers, turning their livestock loose so that they could take them with them. The other guys would be gathering up the hay bales or hay and they would be landed around that tree. They would ask them one more time, will you convert to the Roman church. If they said no, the next thing that those people seen was the fire at their feet and their stuff going down the road. That's the kind of church this is. This was an inquisition. In 1231, the inquisition started. An overall estimate of the lives lost in the crusades and inquisitions between 50 and 100 million people were tortured and killed in a 600 year span. In a 600 year span. And they've done all this in the name of God. Whew. I don't know about you guys, but I would sure hate to be one of them standing before the great white throne of judgment giving account for my life. That would be pretty bad. I'm glad, I, I'm glad I didn't live in that time. We don't know how blessed we are not to have had to live during that time period. This time period that we are talking about here in Thyatira, if you look up uh, medieval times or medieval ages, this is the time it's going to bring up. This is what it's going to be talking about, the dark ages. These were very dark. It was so cruel and so wicked. If you didn't belong to that church, your days were numbered as soon as they could get to you. Very evil, very wicked time. In 1254, Pope Innocent IV explicitly used torture for anyone who would not convert to the Roman church or what we would call Catholicism as of now. That sounds like straight up Satanism to me. Okay, it really does. Now, I know you're thinking because of the time period here, you may be thinking, uh, it sounds like it's starting to torture there. Well, what happened was they didn't start torture here, but they sure did increase it because before they were burning you at stakes and beating you. But what they did at this point in time was they began to really, the Roman church, really begin to focus on devices, machinery. Of course, the Romans started that earlier, but they really begin to focus on this. Everybody's heard of the Iron Maiden, not the rock group, but the Iron Maiden. <laughs> okay, that was, and I probably said this before, but it was like a big sarcophagus and it was hinged on one side and it would open up and they had these spikes that stuck out the back of it and stuck out the front of it and they would shove somebody in there and they had that specifically, those spikes specifically placed where that when you shove the human body in there, it would maximize the pain 
so greatly that you couldn't stand it, front and back. But it wouldn't allow you to bleed out quickly. They wanted, they would close that thing on you and they'd leave you in there hollering and bellering. And that's what they wanted the people to hear, was they wanted people to hear you wailing all over the place so that nobody would ever cross them in any way. It was all a power grab. It was all a power takeover. When the Roman Empire, when they took Jesus and they began to flog him with that cat of nine tails, at the end of those little leather straps that was on there, they had bits of, of rock, flint, bits of anything that they could use that was sharp. They had this thing down to an art. They knew that when they hit you, and they didn't just hit you with it, they would hit you and then they would yank it so that it would just rip the hide. They knew that if you went over 34 times, it was going to be a quicker death for the person. So they wouldn't go over 34 times. If you went 36, 38 times, it was pretty much the person was going to die. That wasn't what they were about. They were about keeping you alive in pain where you could wail the longest. And then they would hang you on a cross. They wanted you to hang on that cross in that boiling hot sun as long as you could, wailing so people would not forget, or people would know and not forget what that would be like. It was a horrible time. Horrible time. The only reason they was going to break Jesus' legs, if you remember, they went to break them. The only reason they was going to break them was to try to cause death so that the body wouldn't, could, because it could not be taken down the next day during that, um, during that special uh, Sabbath. Number five, Sardis means the red ones, which is the, the next church. And these, these are not as long, so we'll get out of here pretty quickly. Red is, symbolizes sin in the Bible. Now, you can look this up in Isaiah 1.8. It talks about that. It gives you that reference. Revelation 3, 1 and 2, and it says, Unto the angel of the church of Sardis write these things, saith he that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, thou hast a name that thou livest, but thou art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain in you. Be watchful. Strengthen those things that you are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Sardis was deep in sin. But it became the Reformation church period, or the church. In 1517, you remember I just said just a few minutes ago, something changed in 1517. Here's what it is. A Catholic priest, a monk, by the name of Martin Luther, did in fact read his Bible. And when he read that Bible that day, he began to notice something that did not line up with what the papacy or papacy was teaching. And he began to try and get the leaders of that church to listen, to get their attention. He wanted to say, what, what's going on here? Why are we teaching this? They wouldn't listen to him at all. They wouldn't give him no time. So he wrote these 95 flaws, or he called them theses, down, and he would go and he would nail them to where these people lived or on the church door. He would nail that up there. He just kept copying them down. And he nailed them up there until he started getting some attention. This started a revolt against the Catholic church. And this is when families in those churches begin to leave and pull out of that mess. They started seeing the truth. Because you weren't allowed to read your Bibles. Actually, you're still not really allowed to read your Bibles if you really think about it. 
<clears throat> so what happened was people began to leave this apostate, dead, spirited churches. And from that, those people that left that, they began. Because really, all of our ancestors at one point in time or another was tied in to that. But they got out. Thank God some of them got out. And what they'd done was they started building churches. And from those churches that ascended from that over a long period of time, hundreds of years, that's where a lot of the denominations actually came on out of. Okay. By the 1800s, the Catholic Church looked like it was doomed. But the power of Satan and his minions got it up and running again a little after that. But it's not as strong as it ever was before. The parallel time period of Sardis was 1517. This was a short one. 1517 to 1648. Philadelphia is the next one, number six, and it means brotherly love. Okay, so that sounds pretty good. We're getting, we've got a little brotherly love going on here. This was the missionary movement time period of the parallel, and that was from 1649 through 1900. So if we read what he says to them in uh, Revelation 3, 7 and 8, Unto the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, remember this, open door, that no one can shut. For thou hast a little strength. They've got a little strength. They're not dead yet. And has kept my words, it's looking better for them, and has not denied my name. So when we talked last week, I said it was kind of like they got a report card. This one here is scoring pretty good. They got an A. They may even get an A plus on this one. So they're doing good. Jesus had no complaint on this church. So Jesus opened a door for ministry, as it says up here, that no man could shut. So it was started. Ministry began to flourish during the time of the Philadelphia parallel. Now I believe, and I believe pretty much everybody believes this that's done any history research, that this was the best time in all of history for Christian growth. It really was. 1649 through 1900. Now I remember hearing about and reading about uh, people that were uh, getting saved during this time periods. I mean, it was amazing. It was like somebody would start a tent revival or, or start a, a revival in a barn, and it wasn't long until it was just revivals that was going on for months and months at a time. It was amazing what went on. A lot of people were getting saved. A lot of people were getting born again. So I wanted to go back, and I wanted to kind of look at some of the highlights that went on from that, during that time period of Christian growth. And here's what I found. I found that somebody, or at least a group of somebody, had done a report on all of the things in date, in line, chronological order, of the things that had happened. Now, there was a lot of stuff in there that was obviously Catholic uh, put in. But what I found was that this report is 45 pages long. So do you all want me to read it all? Okay, I didn't think so. <laughs> 45, it took me forever just to read the thing. So what I did was I just started picking out just a few. So again, I've got like seven or eight, something like that. So 1656, these are pretty interesting, and they go quick. The first Quaker missionaries arrived in what is now Boston, Massachusetts. 
So that's when the missionaries started kind of moving over in here. In 1660, Christianity was introduced to Cambodia. Now, I'll throw this one in here because I noticed that it was a lot of different groups that was going to all these different islands and these little, uh, uh, well, I guess third world countries, if you want to call them that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. In 1738, John Wesley's conversion eventually leads to the founding of the branch of the Methodist Church, although he had no intention of forming a separate denomination. So that's kind of when that got started. 1747, Jonathan Edwards appealed for the prayer of world missions, for he was the preacher of the first great awakening. So there was about three of those, the best I remember. These great awakenings would have been those revivals that I was talking about. This one was really cool. I like this one. 1793, frontier missionary Stephen Baden left Baltimore on foot to go to Kentucky uh, to preach. Reaching his destination seven months later. He was determined, wasn't he? I don't know if we could, uh, would do that. 1800, New York Missionary Society was formed. 1833, Baptist work began in Thailand and uh, with John Taylor Jones. 1879, H.F. Reynolds enters into the ministry. He became responsible for global missionary work and a new church called the Church of the Nazarene in 1907. As of the 1900s, as it came into place, things began to change. The Industrial Revolution had been going on for a while, and things were growing kind of fast, and then we had the automobile industry. That's when things really started to change, all right? People were getting jobs and working for companies, and they were making money, so they were buying these products from these other companies. Now, remember that around the 1900s, or before 1900s, that most people, especially in rural areas, most people were still homesteaders. They lived off the farm. They grew what they ate. They milked the cows. They done it all. But what happened was people began to switch and started working these jobs and bringing this money in and, and not nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying that. But they began to do this and they began to buy new things. And these new things got to attracting their attention. They wanted to know what they could buy next. So things change. Things really begin to change. Now, this brings us to the final church, and we're just about done. Number seven, Laodicea. Now, the Laodicea church means the rights of the people. That's pretty wild. They were self-indulgent, rich, full of worldly pride, and they are the lukewarm church. So what does Jesus say about this? Revelation 3, 14, 7, and it says, Unto the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, saith the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know thy works, and thou art neither cold nor hot. I always want to say that in reverse. I wish they were cold or hot, one or the other. It doesn't matter. So because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth, because thou sayest I am rich. This was written, what, 1950 years ago? And he's telling exactly the way we're living right now, right now, because thou art rich and increased with goods hmm, and have need of nothing. In one sense of the word, hearing this, uh, you know, us, we don't really have a whole lot of need of nothing. 
Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked because we've taken our focus off of God. We're trying to be, we're trying to play with God over here, but we're trying to play with our stuff over here. We're kind of in the middle, which would kind of make us not cold, not hot, but lukewarm, right? He's, God's word is never wrong. 1950 years ago, he says that this time period is coming. And guess what? We are living in the Laodicean time period right now. It will end at the rapture. And so that's going to be our finale. God is not at all pleased with this church. Tanya and I have traveled. Uh, since we've been together, we've traveled to many different churches all over the country. For nine years, we've done that. We've been in tiny little churches smaller than this one. We have been in big churches. I mean massive churches. Some of them was good. Some of them was bad. But when I read about some of this and think about the lukewarm church, I always think about a couple of verses in the Bible. Well, actually seven verses in the Bible and it comes in. It's Paul wrote the second letter to Timothy in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It says... This know also that in the last days. Now, folks, we're living in the last days. He's talking to us right now, okay? Perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own self. All you got to do is just look. We're definitely that, okay? Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemies, blasphemers, uh, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Wow, without natural affection. What happened a week ago today? The church that, has, that this name is under right now split because of part of them didn't want to stay with the natural affection that God is talking about here. Again, he's right on it. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. It's like Bill was talking. These people that is gathered around the... Um, the court, these are people, <laughs> that's what they are. These are people that are despisers of anything that is good. They don't want, they don't want anybody to have church. They don't want anybody to, to carry their babies. That's what they're talking about. Despisers of those that are good. They despise us. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Well, that's easy because... The biggest part of the world is doing that. Having, now listen to this, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. For of this sort are they that creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lust, ever learning and never able to Come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I like that one verse. I don't like it, but I want to read it again. Having the form of godliness, but denying the faith, or the, the power thereof. What could that possibly mean? So, as I just mentioned, Tanya and I visited all these churches. So, we've seen, so I want to give you a, an illustration, and then we're done. Think about walking into a giant church, okay, nowadays. You don't know anybody around you. The music is so loud you can't even hear yourself think. The lights are so dim you really can't see too well, except for the light show going on. Everyone is jumping around. You don't know if you're in a rock concert or what's going on. We've been in those places, I promise you. Really didn't. Everything that I'm saying I have experienced. 
or I think everything, I better double check. But anyway, your emotions are all over the place. You don't know what you feel. Then the music settles down, the lights brighten up a little bit, and someone jumps up on stage and begins talking about how the Spirit of God is here. The Spirit of God is here. Okay? In this place. Then the person starts chanting something. You have no idea what they're talking about. There's no interpreter there to interpret what this person's talking about. Been there, done that. Then, you're so confused, you don't know what to do. You see people around you that's just falling over, just, just strange. It's really strange. And then a man jumps up on stage and he says something on this order. God loves you. Do you love God? If you do, we're all going to heaven. And that's pretty much it. Pretty much it. The Spirit is here. The Spirit is here. They'll always say that. This is a form of godliness, but is it the true God? I feel a feel-good message on Sunday, live the way you want during the week, does not make God happy at all. Nothing. That's lukewarm. Have you ever wondered why smaller churches like this one, why that they have so much trouble keeping the doors open? When somebody else can come into a little small town or any kind of town and build a mega church, and the day that it opens, it's completely packed with people. They're just recently having Somerset. They built a new mega church over there. First day, loaded, completely full. Now, I'm not trying to knock mega churches. Some of them are absolutely awesome. I've been to some that is just phenomenal. But some of them are just in it for the money. That's just, that's just hit it where it is, okay? They're in it for the money. And what they're doing is they are misleading people. They are... They are so misleading people. It's about like this church we were just talking about, Thyatira. If a, plea, if a preacher don't challenge you by preaching the word, the true word, the Bible, you don't get any conviction from that. And you stay comfortable. In other words, lukewarm. If a feel-good a feel message is just that, it's a feel-good message. If, you're, if there's no conviction, you're comfortable. Okay? Now, we're going to have a song of invitation. But I'll, before we say that, I want to say one more thing. And then I'm done. In the first three chapters of Revelation, the church, the name, the word church, is mentioned 19 times. Beginning in Revelation, I don't think I put it on there, Revelation 4... Chapter 4, verse 1. From there out, guess how many times the church is mentioned? Zero. You know why? Just as these seven churches were in perfect chronological order with the things that has happened in the last 2,000 years, chapter number 4, verse 1, and what it says, I'm going to read it to you, is the next thing on the agenda is going to happen. I hear people all the time say, I believe the rapture of the church is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation, or the rapture of the church is going to happen at the end of the tribulation. The Bible tells you exactly when it's going to happen right here. I'm going to read it to you. It says, <clears throat> now you've got to remember, John is on the Isle of Patmos. And he says, after this, what's after this? What's this? After this, that he's just been seen, everything we've talked about, these seven churches. After this, 
I looked, and behold, a door was open into heaven. He's looking up into heaven, and he sees this door open. Hmm. And the first voice that I heard was that of a trumpet. A trumpet. If you go back and you look at Corinthians and, and Thessalonians where it is talking about the rapture of the church, that time period when Jesus comes back, it's talking about ascending into heaven. It's talking about you will hear a trumpet shout. If you all remember when I done that message on uh, the rapture of the church and the Jewish wedding, you remember that? How that all that played into perfect harmony? Watch this. Watch this. This trumpet was talking to me which said, Come up hither, and I will show you the things that means or that must happen. Come up hither. You know what the, the very word rapture means? It means to be caught up. When you translate caught up, it comes out rapture. It's rapturo. That's where it comes from, rapture. So he is saying here that he sees a door in heaven that is open. He hears the trumpet sound and it says, come up here. And he goes up. Now notice what it says. Immediately. What does it say in, 1 Corinth, or in Corinthians and, and Thessalonians? It says this is going to happen in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. He shows it once again. And immediately I was in the Spirit. He had to be in the Spirit because his body couldn't go up. Flesh and blood can't go up. The Spirit. I mean, it, it lays it out perfectly. And behold, a throne, and I was in heaven. Now you can all stand. We have a message of invitation. Once again, we gather at this time when we have an opportunity that if we have anything that's in our hearts that needs to be dealt with, it's a good time to deal with them. Because the very next thing that this word says, that's not missed a beat, everything that it said has happened exactly like it said. And there's no difference in what's getting ready to happen. And rapture is the next thing on the agenda that is going to happen. That's the next big event. And all indicators say, right now is it. The Laodicean church is getting ready to stop and the rapture is getting ready to take place. So if there's anybody here today that don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, please, please tell Satan to get off your shoulders, get off your back, and step out and come to this altar. Hold your hand up. I'll come and pray with you. If anybody has anything else they want to pray about, come on to this altar. The altar is open. I know I've kept you all for a while, but come on. This is more important than lunch. Anytime anybody comes to the altar, if you want me to pray with you in any way, hold your hand up so that I don't miss you because I'm bad about doing that. Anyone else need to come up? Anyone else?
as Bill was talking earlier about the abortion thing and it is special to his heart and I would ask that everybody in this building right now let's be praying right now I'm going to lead you in prayer but that's pray for that particular instance and for this new church and to give us strength dear precious heavenly father Lord we come to you one more time Lord this day and Lord we ask that your blessings would be poured out upon this congregation. We ask that your will would be done in this congregation, Lord. And as these folks are praying, Lord God, whatever needs they have or whatever they're praying about, Lord, we pray, Lord God, that those needs would be met. We pray, Lord, for Brother Bill's special prayer, Lord, that we would do more. Show us what we can do, Lord God. Lead us, guide us, and direct us, Lord, on the things that we can do to, to go against these people that is wanting to murder babies because that's what it is. You can't, put, you can't put lipstick on that and make it look like anything else. That's what it is. But that's what they're trying to do. They call it abortion. They make it look like, oh, the, it's not a baby until it's born. It's a baby at conception. We know that, Lord. So, Lord, we pray for this special time, Lord, that we have in our, in our government, Lord God, in our court system, Lord, where that they are at least thinking about, before this leak came out, at least thinking about fixing it to get the federal government out of it. So, Lord God, we pray that your will will be done in these things, Lord. That your will will be done in these. Lord God, help us to know what to do. Help us to know how to talk to people about these kind of things, Lord. Lord, we praise you. We love you. We thank you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I love them. I just thank you for this church, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you'll just make us a, a light for people to come and, and to find you in, Lord God. We pray that you'll help us in all these transitions and everything that we're trying to do, Lord God. We pray that your hand is upon it, Lord. We pray, Lord God, that we don't do anything that is outside the realm of how you want it done, Lord, because we want to do what you want done. So, Lord, we pray right now as we dismiss our service, Lord, and we go back here to talk about it a little bit more. We pray that you'll keep each and every one of us safe. Give us traveling mercies, Lord God. Be with us. Help us, Lord. Put a hedge of angels around us, Lord God, where that these demons won't keep coming at us, Lord, after it seems like every message we have something that happens. Bill wrecked his truck. I wrecked the van last week. Lord God, it's just always something. Put a hedge of angels around us, Lord, we ask. Protect us, Lord. Help us to do your will, because Satan is fighting back. But you are stronger than Satan ever thought about being. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you in this, in this great day that we've had, this Mother's Day. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You're dismissed. Amen.
Put him in a borrowed grave 
that he had made a plan of salvation for 